Praise the Lord. Good to be in God's house. Amen. 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 If you believe that, will you look at your neighbor and say, it's good to be in the house of God. (laughs) Praise the Lord. You could have chosen to be anywhere else this morning, but you chose to be here. And I believe that God, by his spirit, is in our midst. I believe that Jesus Christ is in our midst. Not because I tangibly saw him this morning where he was standing in the room. No. But because his word says so. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. And the beauty is, we get to see Christ in one another. The scripture refers to Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the beauty is, though I cannot see him physically, the person of Jesus, I see Jesus in you. And you get to see Jesus in those around you. And what a delight. It is always good to come together. The scripture encourages us to come together. In fact, so much so, it says, do not neglect to come together. Is as the manner of some to gather together. And so we collectively gather as the saints did in that first century church. They gathered together on the first day of the week. They sought the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. They studied the scriptures and the doctrine. And they had fellowship and broke bread and had communion. And today is a communion Sunday. And so it's good to be in the house of God. I want to say a special prayer this morning for one of the families in our church that have gone through a devastation this past week with the loss of a young person that was a dear, dear friend. And uh, will will you just just pray with us this morning? Father, we lift up the Sturdivant family. We pray for Cody. We pray, God, for uh, the loss of this dear loved one in his life under just grievous circumstances. We pray for her family. We are asking God for your grace and your mercy, your peace. You are the God of all comfort. Will you comfort hearts? And will you help and strengthen our dear family and uh, our, his mother, uh, Verity, and uh, his sister and the other family members? God, be glorified and help in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. 1985. How many of you remember 19? 19- 85. Levi up here in the front says, like it was yesterday, man. (laughs) Pretty sure he wasn't born in 1985. 1985. I moved to Oregon. I came here to play football. I think there's a picture. Look at me. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) I can't live in the past. (laughs) My wife, actually, who was my girlfriend at that time, uh, I met her at church sitting on the front row of the church, kind of like this right here, I mean smack dab in the middle. And uh, she had this picture hanging uh, behind her station. She was working as a teller at the Oregonian Federal Credit Union. And the writers, the sports writers, would come in, and occasionally one of them would show up at her window. And one occasion, a guy looks behind her and sees this picture of this Portland State Viking football player. And he says, why do you have Dave Morris's picture back there? And she's like, oh, 
well, he's my boyfriend. He's like, that guy's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I say that so you know that I'm amazing, okay? <laughs> so this is me playing football. Ba- <laughs> and the sound booth gets props. <laughs> uh, Josh, advance it. Here's a little picture of me. Josh, when he was putting this picture up on the board, he says, Hey, PD, is that you making that block? You're that offensive line. He said, did you pick that picture because you can see your arm actually flexing? You know, because linemen like to show, you know, we like to think that we were big and strong. I said, absolutely, I did. So uh, that's me playing football there my junior year at Portland State, 1985. Not only was that happening in 1985, but I mentioned Kim Sue or Kimberly Sue at that time, Leahy. And uh, here's a picture of Kimberly Sue and Dave back in our dating days. Oh, yeah. Gammy, you might remember those days, yeah. I showed up one time at Kim's mom's house because I was taking Kim out on a date, which, by the way, all you married folks and perhaps some of you unmarried folks, date night is an important time. My wife and I have date night every single week without fail to this day. And I showed up, though, this one night, and there were a bunch of ladies praying over at the house, and, oh, they had to have me come inside, and they were just oohing and on about this big guy taking out this little tiny uh, gal. Show the next picture. Uh, this, this is Dave and Kim. Uh, it's all blurry. It's blurry because the person who was taking the picture was so moved by it that they were... <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Anyway, 1985. Lots of things were happening in the world, too. Something very interesting was happening in England, in the pastures of the farms. There was an interesting occurrence amongst the cattle where there was some feed that had a particular type of bacteria and the cows began to act in an erratic way. This is 1985. This is is relatively recent. And, I say relatively recent, Levi's like, uh, no. (laughs) Dude, you're old. (laughs) Relatively recent, postmodern era, if you will. Acting erratic, then losing ability to walk and control bodily function, and eventually they would just fall down and die. Yeah, it has a technical name to it. I dare not try and describe this technical name, but it's, I love the first word, bovine, because that's what cows are, the bovine, and it's a bovine spongiform, uh, and then another big word. It's BSE, uh, technically, and we call it mad cow disease. Mad cow disease surfaced, and it really was a postmodern plague that affected the cows. And for some 10 years, it was a devastating thing in and through Europe. But in 1995, it showed up in the human populace as well because people who had eaten infected meat also found themselves losing their faculties. And what the the bacteria would do would be to actually consume the brain and make and turn the brain into what was like a sponge and people were dying and so there is no disease even to the or there is no cure as of to this day so why do i 
talk about 1985 and start off with some fun pictures of me playing football, then some great pictures of Kim and I during our dating days, and then remind us of this postmodern plague. Well, it's reminiscent of where we are in Scripture. You see, we're looking today at the fifth plague in Egypt, the fifth plague. I call it a plague, but it really is the miraculous work of God, and it's the miraculous power of God, and it has to do with the cattle. And so I would invite you at this time to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 9. Flip over to Exodus chapter 9, and while you're doing that, if you're taking notes this morning, the, we're looking at the verses 1 through 7, and the title of today's message, are you ready for this? No bull. No bull. Be careful if you chew on that, just not to get the infected bull. <laughs> um, today we're going to consider the fifth plague. We're going to consider some lessons that we might be reminded of in the midst of the fifth plague. These are not unfamiliar lessons, but fruitful nonetheless for us to be reminded of, and we will consider some definitive spiritual truths associated with uh, the fifth plague. So let's read together Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. The Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the, on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Let's pray. Father, in the next few moments, Lord, as we look toward the communion table, Father, will you help us to remember lessons that we have already learned, lessons that we have certainly experienced in our life May today we be reminded and these good things, God, that you have. And Lord, may we also be reminded of the spiritual truths that are ours in Christ. And so God be glorified and may we grow today because we've been with you in your presence. And all God's people said a strong amen. 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 The fifth plague, the fifth miracle work of God in the midst of the children of Israel in the midst of their bondage, in the midst of their imprisonment, if you will, in Egypt. The plague begins like 
the other plagues or many of the other plagues that have already occurred. It begins with the command of God, let my people go. And the scripture reminds us that it is the Lord who is saying, let them go. And it's not only the Lord or God who is saying this, but Moses is making the declaration that this is the God of the Hebrews and his name is Yahweh. His name is Jehovah. Jehovah God says. And so he is making it absolutely certain known. God says, let my people go so that they may serve me. So some simple observations that we will make today. Number one, God's pattern in our salvation. There is a pattern that is resplendent throughout the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. The message is the same. God delivers. He is our deliverer. Thanks be to God. It's about deliverance, and God is the deliverer. It ultimately is about our freedom that we have in the Lord. Secondly, God's purpose in our service. God's purpose in our service. And so we'll look at what that purpose is and how that's made manifest. What? When he says, let my people go that they may serve me, what does the serve me look like for you and I? And then finally, God's power. God's power is over, is over and above Satan's power. God's power is superior. Thanks be to God. And so, with that is our authority. So let's start. God's pattern in our salvation, our deliverance. Exodus chapter nine and verse one reminds us, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go. Let my people go. The meaning of salvation, the meaning of salvation is deliverance. Let them go. All mankind, before one is born again, we are slaves to sin. Slaves. That which we yield the members of our bodies to, the New Testament reminds us, is that which we have become a slave to. Today, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, hallelujah, you've been set free. You've been delivered. You have received salvation. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer subject to the law of sin and death. But you are subject to the jurisdiction of God's law, the law of life in the spirit. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Praise God. God's demand to Pharaoh again demonstrates his pattern and his purpose. His pattern is to deliver people. Remember back in Exodus chapter 6, 
Remember, it says he saw them, he heard them, and he knew their sorrows. So he came down to deliver. Listen, that's the pattern of our God. God sees you. God sees me. Not only does he see us, and that word see there really indicates that he sees with understanding. He knows exactly where you are. He knows where you are emotionally. He knows where you are socially. He knows where you are mentally. He knows where you are physically. He knows where you are spiritually. He knows you. He sees that, and he sees right where you are with absolute knowledge and understanding. And he really does know. He knows sorrows. He knows sorrows because he himself became familiar with them while he lived here as man. He knows, he knows, and he hears our cries. He hears, listen, God hears you when you pray. He hears you. He hears you when there are not words for your prayers. Hannah, as she cried out before the Lord, her mouth moved, but no words came out. God interpreted and knew her heart. He heard her cries. God knows every tear that you have shed. He knows. He has collected. He knows. Aren't you thankful? How many times have we said, nobody understands me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Can I tell you today, there is one who does. There is one who does. And he is the ever-present help in time of trouble. Thanks be to God. The Lord is near his children. Oh, if you feel far from God, will you just hear the recipe James said, draw near to God and what? He'll draw near to you. Will you take a step today? God is near. Call on him while he is near, the scripture says. He's come to deliver, and his deliverance is our freedom. Thanks be to God. And what was true for the Israelites in this chapter, in the ninth chapter, what was true for the Israelites under Moses is true for you and I today. God will deliver us from our trouble. The exodus from Egypt is predictive of the true exodus that you and I have in the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus breaks the power of sin. Jesus breaks the power of sin. When we sing the song, I am no longer a slave to sin, the reason is, is because Jesus has broken the power of sin, the power that sin had over us. And ultimately, the power of sin is death. And we have been delivered from death. Thanks be to God. For the grace of God which has appeared to all men it has taught us salvation. It has brought us to the place of salvation. And that salvation brings with it the gift 
of eternal life. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, everlasting life. Thanks be to God, we are no longer under the power of sin and death. That means as released sinners, come on, we are freed from captivity. Freed from captivity. (laughs) Remember when you were younger? Maybe some of you parents with younger kids still know this, but how many of you played Monopoly? Oh, yeah. How many of you remember rolling the dice and, oh, you hit that little corner space that says, go to jail. And you're like, ah. Or you pull up the card from the chance pile and it says, go to jail. Go to jail. Directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Ah, and then you're stuck in jail. And you can't wait to get the dice again to roll a set of doubles. Get out of jail. How many of you, when you landed on community chest, oh, you couldn't wait, turn that card over, you thought maybe I'll get $200. Bank error in your favor. Remember that card? Collect $200. You're like, but the golden card was the get out of jail free card, right? And there's the Monopoly man coming out of that bird cage with the door open and he's got a set of wings and he's flying out. And you're like, this baby's worth more than 50 bucks to me. That's freedom. And that's what it's like for us. We were in prison. And he broke the doors open. Like Paul and Silas in that Philippian jail as they began to worship God. The shackles that were on their hands and their feet opened and fell to the ground and the gates of the prison doors were all open. Not just their door, but all the doors. And not only were they set free that night and all the prisoners in the jail that night, but even the jail keeper who took his sword out to take his own life. And Paul and Silas hollered, said, do not do it. We're all in here. And he and his entire household were saved. Oh, God's pattern. And he is in the business of deliverance. Can I get an amen? Thanks be to God. Slavery. Wow, God has made a way for all men to be saved. God's made a way for all men. Our responsibility is to respond to the grace of God. It's like the Fifth Amendment if you have citizenship in America. You have unalienable rights. In fact, if you were being prosecuted in a court of law and you were sitting at the prosecution seat and the judge is to your right and there you are and the prosecuting attorney asks a question and the answer that you would give would be self-incriminating. You have an unalienable right. Every person sitting here has an unalienable right. But the question must be answered unless the prosecuted 
One, the prosecutee lays claim to that unalienable right, lays claim to it. Then it applies to him. So it is with the provision that God has made for all mankind. Jesus died upon the cross at Calvary, shedding his own blood for the sins of the world. But his blood covering his atoning work applies only to those who apprehend it by faith and lay claim. I am laying claim to what Jesus accomplished upon the cross for me. Then the blood applies and it is atoned for and our sin is forgiven. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's so powerful and it makes so much sense. God made provision. We apprehend it by faith. Have you apprehended salvation, the grace of God through faith? Have you said, I receive, God, what you have done for me personally. I receive the work that Jesus accomplished upon the cross, his blood covering my sin. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Come into my life and be the Lord of my life. If you've not done that, the Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Don't wait. We'll give opportunity at the end of the service today where you can say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. Behold, now is the acceptable time. God's purpose in our service, our devotion or worship. You know, it's interesting to me. Then in a time of enlightenment, in a time where in the world there seems to be such tremendous intellect, such tremendous knowledge, such tremendous wisdom, such tremendous education, we are unwise and unknowing to even what worship means. Worship means. Many of us, when we talk about worship, our first inclination is, what style of music do you play on Sunday morning for that 30 minutes? That's our worship time. Or what CD do you put in your player? I was driving yesterday, and I found myself, are you ready for this? This will kind of date me. Those of you who are like Hillsong fans, I, I had Darlene Schick in my little player, and I was listening to the song, Jesus. I mean, it's such a great song, but it was like 1985. <laughs> so powerful. But worship, is that what the Word of God refers to when it talks about our service to the Lord? Their worship, the Israelites, they were going to go a distance into the wilderness, three days journey into the wilderness. They were going to take man, woman, child, and all the beasts to worship the Lord in his prescribed manner of worship. That's important for us to understand. God has a prescription for worship. Well, I worship God in my own way, people will say. We say, well, hey, you got to come to the Lord first and acknowledge his lordship. He is God. 
There are people who say, well, I don't, you know, that born again thing. I remember the first, one of the first guys I shared the gospel with. He says, oh, you're not going to talk to me about that born again stuff. That thing's a cult. I said, well, bro, these aren't my words. These are God's words. He says, unless a man's born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says, he didn't say that. I said, well, let me show you. And I opened up my Bible to John chapter 3, and I revealed a few things to him. He's like, man, I've been going to church for a long time. I've never seen that before. I said, well, hey, bro, you've got to come to God in the prescribed way. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. That's how it works, prescribed manner. And so Moses was telling Pharaoh, no, we got to do it in the prescribed manner. And there was a way. And it was, there was sacrifice involved. And there was not only the sacrifice of bulls and of rams and of lambs that would be a temporary, if you will, atonement until pointing to Jesus, but there was a prescribed manner in the way they were to live. Just like for you and I, there's a prescribed manner. It's not about rules and do's and don'ts. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a revelation of who God is, and when I understand and realize who God is, there is a certain adoration that I just want to be where he is, and I want to be like him to be well-pleasing to him for what he has done for me. It's a response of gratitude to God and to recognize that God is best. God is best, and he wants to give the best to his kids. And he can only do that when there's honor and there's holiness and there's righteousness, he can give maximum to us. I believe that when you and I are living that way, we'll experience the abundant life that God has promised to his kids. And he wants to give us that abundant life. And so, worship. It is interesting that there are battles in churches over the style of worship. Have you heard about some of those? Sure you have. Interesting to note that the time of worship and song in any church is generally about 30 minutes. Depending on what church you go to, it might extend to 45 minutes. If it's a worship service, it might be an hour and a half to two hours. Can I get an amen? That would be all right. We'll worship the Lord together. That's exciting. But at, at, at best, that's only a couple of hours in any given week, and there's 168 hours this week. How will you spend your week? Or rather, how will you invest your week? Will you spend it? Or will you invest it? Paul, writing to the church in Rome, reminds us. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your lives as living sacrifices. Let me read it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Your bodies. A living sacrifice. Does that mean it matters what I do the other 166 hours of the week? Yes. Yes, it does. In fact, it goes on to say that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable service. Let my people go that they may serve me. 
How I live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, that is my worship. That is my reasonable service 168 hours a week dedicated to the Lord. I'm no longer a slave to fear. We're no longer slaves to sin, to fear. I don't have to obey my flesh when my flesh has cravings and says, feed me. I can say, time out, no way, Jose. <laughs> no. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and Self-control. I can control by the Spirit of God and the power of God and say no to my flesh and say no to my adversary, the devil, who is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In Jesus, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God, mighty in God. You, if your faith is in Jesus, you are mighty in God. Stop believing the lies of the enemy, your adversary, who calls you a weakling. And some of us buy into that because, well, I failed and I stumbled and I blah, 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 blah. And it's my pattern. I just keep doing it over and over again. I must be a weakling in the Lord. That's what he wants you to think. You're mighty in God. Mighty through God. Praise the Lord. Let me, let me suggest to you the enemy's tactic is always the same. His schemes, the wiles of the devil, the craftiness of our foe, they're the same. He also has a pattern. You see, he mimics God, so his pattern is the same, just like God's pattern is the same. The first two plagues with warning, the third plague, no warning. The next two plagues with warning, the Sixth plague, no warning. The next two plagues with warning. The ninth plague, no warning. And the tenth plague is in and of itself different. There's a pattern there. A pattern. A pattern. And God is a God of pattern. And in his pattern, he's revealing he's a God of design. And in his design, he's revealing that he's a God of purpose. And a God of love. And the mimicker... Satan is also in pattern form, and he will do the same thing. And here's what he'll do. He'll do just what he did with Moses. He says, no, look, 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 Moses. And this was not in this particular plague, but earlier he said to Moses, he says, okay, okay, call off God on us, please. I'll let you go worship in the land. God said, let my people go three days journey into the wilderness. Pharaoh, a type of Satan, says, no, you can be born again, but live in the world. Live as the world. 
compromise, negotiate, justify. Look at our lives, look at your life. Where is the compromise? Who's feeding you and affording you the opportunity to compromise? Is it God? No. He said, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Satan says, well, you can, you can be born again, but you don't have to give it all up. You can live like you want. Sanctified Sunday, worldly, weekly. It's compromise. It comes from the enemy. It comes from our adversary, the devil. He's seeking to devour. Well, well, that compromise didn't work? You mean Moses said, no, 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 no. We're going three days. He says, well, you're not going. The next time he comes, he says, no, hey, call off God. I'll let you go. But I'm only going to let the men go as you've requested. He's <laughs> like, uh, no. Not only are the men going to go, the women are going to go, and the children are going to go, and all the animals are going to go. The third time he comes, he says, okay, the little ones can go too, but you can't take any of the animals. Compromise, compromise, compromise. He's relentless. He does not sleep. And he tries to get you and I, the children of God, God's chosen ones, to compromise. I want to remind every one of us today, this world and the things in this world, they're passing away. Jesus, the word of God says, do not love this world or the things in this world for all of the things in this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, they are not from your Father. They're of this world. Who is the prince of the palate, or who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Who is the one who has present dominion here? Because Adam forfeited it in the Garden of Eden, he gave up the title deed to the earth to Satan. He's over. Hey, he could only offer the kingdoms of God, the kingdoms of this world to Jesus because he was in charge of them at that time. Let's not be deceived. Okay, purpose is worship. Let's serve the Lord heartily. Heartily. Hey, you may not get up in the morning and say, Woo! I'm ready to serve Jesus. It's okay. I know what it's like to wake up on the other side of the bed, so to speak. Hey, get in the Word of God. The psalmist said, early in the morning I will rise up and seek thee. Why? Because thou hast been my help. Oh, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My shield, my rock, my redeemer. And I'm reminded, like David, I get to build myself up in my most holy faith. Thanks be to God. 
so that I can live to glorify God throughout the day, dedicating my day to the Lord. Worship. Number three, God's power is over and above Satan's. It really is our dominance. Now, I'm an athletic guy. Well, <laughs> okay, not so much anymore. I once was an athletic guy, but I'm still competitive. <laughs> Please do not show those pictures again. <laughs> I once had a stealth body. <laughs> well, never stealth either. Okay, enough said. Anyway, I like winning. You only have to play a game of Scrabble with me to realize how badly I like winning. <laughs> so says my mother-in-law, <laughs> who, by the way, has beat me in Scrabble. Ah, uh, I was just kidding. <laughs> Actually, she has. I remember the first time my son Jonathan was gonna win in a game of Scrabble. This is how competitive and what a great dad I was. Uh, oops. <laughs> Right? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Scrabble, my son. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, <I'm> <laughs> that was just last week. <laughs> so the competitive thing is not so good, but... I do like to win in the fact that in Christ Jesus, we win. Amen. We win. Come on, and we can win every single day. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we're no longer subject to the jurisdiction of this law of sin and death, but of life and life in the Spirit. We have power in the Lord and authority. So, <laughs> I like this thought. It goes from a poke to a punch with God. From a poke to a punch. Remember when Aaron struck the dust of the earth and God did something miraculous. He made non-replicating elements become self-replicating lice. And self-duplicating lice, might I say. That's life. He went from non-replicating elements to self-replicating organisms. Hello. Only God can do that. That's why evolution doesn't work. Scientists like well, we can make life. Let's get some of this, blah, blah, blah. And they start taking all the stuff. And God's over here saying, oh, that's great, but get your own stuff. That's my stuff. And he makes lice. They can't do it. They can't do it. That was, the, the magician said, this is the finger of God. The finger of God, the poke. Our text says in chapter 9, it will be the hand of the Lord. Verse 3, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle. It goes from a poke to a punch. Boom. 
Boom! Or a slap. Bam! Taking care of it. The haymaker. Down goes Frazier. God's dominance over the magicians with lives, the finger and with the cattle, the hand of God. It goes from Hecate to Hathor. Pastor Matthew told us who Hecate was. Remember, Hecate was the goddess of fertility. It was a female body with a frog head. Ooh, fertility, that's attractive. Ribbit. <laughs> Probably not. But nonetheless, that was their God, and he was making a display of his dominance over that God. Hathor is the female goddess of love and beauty and is displayed with the head of a cow with horns and the sun between the horns, showing his dominance over Hathor. Not only Hathor, but Bucchus and Apis. Apis, the chief of the bull gods set up in the temple in Memphis. And so he was demonstrating his dominance over the gods of Egypt, destroying, and in the plague, destroying all of the cattle. And not just the bovine, the horses and the donkeys and the like. And finally, his dominance in that he makes a distinction between the cattle and all the animals of Egypt all of the animals of Israel. He protects his kids' stuff. God will protect your stuff because it's, he's a God of pattern. Not only will he protect your stuff, listen, he prophesies his plague. He says, let go or else. This is the first plague with death. The first plague with death. Death occurs. The cows he proclaims his providence. He's in charge over time. He sets it up for tomorrow. He says, tomorrow at this exact time, boom, this is gonna happen. You see, the future belongs to God. Your future belongs to God. You remember the Allstate commercial? You're in good hands with Allstate. Listen, God holds your future. You're in good hands with God. You're in good hands with God. He publishes his power. He's the creator of life and death. That is absolute power. He made life. Let me say that differently. He made lice. <laughs> and he made death. He protects his people and their possession. He makes the distinction. And he'll do that for you and I. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So, Today, if you left with one truth or one reminder, let's live to worship the Lord. Amen. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration. Like last week, if you were here, you saw that great little picture of our missionary Doug. And right next to him, as he was standing there with his fishing rod, was his little dog, Amos. Amos never had a leash. Amos went everywhere Doug was. And always, when Doug stopped, the dog would sit. When Doug walked, the dog would walk. Absolute adoration because Doug had rescued that dog 
out of the prison. He was headed to be euthanized. He was going to be put to sleep. He was in the dog pound. For $7, he was rescued, and the dog loved him from the moment the cage was opened. Your cage has been opened if your faith is in Jesus. Will you, with absolute adoration, follow Jesus? We're Jesus followers. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're Jesus followers. Let's follow him. Let's live like him. Let's walk in holiness and in righteousness. Let's offer our lives. Let's offer our bodies living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.